Hi there, this is Steve Bolton and welcome to the Be an Angel podcast. The benefits of angel investing include generating market-leading returns, incredible tax breaks and supporting mission-driven entrepreneurs to change the world. Thank you for joining the Be an Angels podcast. Welcome back. Mistake number six, not knowing when or how to exit. Really important one, this one. Again, like most of these topics, we could spend an age going into this in detail. So just give you that kind of high level, some of the most important things to understand, be aware of, questions to ask, research that you can do, and contacts that you probably need to make if you don't have them already. Key question, have the founding team the business you're investing into, the key people behind it, have they ever sold a company before? If they have, happy days, that's really helpful. If they haven't, then they're not going to know what they do not know. So I would encourage you, this is obviously post-investment, you're involved in the business, speak to sale brokers, right? Start speaking to them really early and get some of the founding teams involved in that process as well so they can understand the way people think to build value in a business. This is not, you're not putting your money generally into a lifestyle company where people are just going to tick along. Typically, you're going to invest into things that have real massive upside potential, both in terms of financially, but also from the point of view of positive impact that it can make in the world as well. All right. So if they haven't sold a business before or if you haven't then you really need to deepen your expertise because it's quite a particular skill set and set of experience it's very complicated and the bigger the amount of money is the more there is obviously at stake as well okay so stage of investment we've been through before but just in summary pre-seed seed that kind of angel phase then we get into the small vcs at the five million plus level then we go up to the larger VCs, 50, 100 million plus, And then we're up to IPOs, trade sales, AIM, stock market listings, global major acquisitions into the billions and beyond. OK, so that's really the kind of the journey, which point at which you choose to get off and the founding team wish to get off is a key strategic decision. You're not necessarily going to make that decision up front and right at the beginning. But for most angels, typically pay dirt, if you like, the moment of crystallization of either a significant win or a partial win quite often comes at that series A, series B stage, right? So you might have invested at 5 million and actually then they do a series A at 25 million or at 50 million, okay? That sort of level. Fantastic. You've had a 5 to 10x pre-dilution. You've had a 5 to 10x return on your money assuming you don't utilize your preemption rights and follow on in future rounds that's a pretty good result in can that can happen in a relatively short period of time what you might want to do is consider pulling some money off the table at that point so let's say business goes from five to 50 you've made a 10x gain you might choose to pull out 25 percent or 50 percent and then the rest of, let the rest of it roll so you've either brought your cash back in or you've made a gain, but you've still got some shares in for the long term. Now, obviously, being able to do that is will depend on the terms that you negotiate in the diligence ring phase, 
whether you've got a dragon tag rights, whether you have preemption, all of these sorts of legal matters that need to be considered. Okay, but I would strongly encourage you to make sure that you are able, you have the right to sell your shares at future rounds because quite often what happens is a VC will come in or a few VCs will come in (coughs) or a strategic partner and they will actually, we want to do a secondary round. We want to clear up the cap table. We want to clear up the kind of shareholders. We don't want all these little individual angels or we don't want this fund involved anymore. Obviously can't force you out if you've negotiated the right sorts of terms but actually it can be to their advantage and to your advantage as well. And that's something that we have done before where actually we exit because a global major is coming in or a massive tech brand, a multi-billion tech company is coming in, acquiring a significant stake. And actually not only are they bringing in new money and people are being diluted, they're also buying some of the shares out, which is good for the founding team as well because they're not being further diluted with the influx of cash, some cash and more, a more significant stake is coming in, but they're buying out some of the early investors. It's called a secondary round, all right? So it can benefit everybody. It allows the investee company coming in or the fund to increase their shareholding and it allows the founding team to bring money into the business, but also not have to dilute too much by selling too many shares or diluting too much, okay? So... Selling a business is incredibly complicated and the more expensive the business is, the, sorry, the more, yeah, the higher the price of the business and the valuation and the more money that's coming in, the more complex that process is. So it's actually way more involved than investing in the angel stage, right? It's to a factor of five or 10 or 100, depending on the size of the business. To give you an example of that, a friend of mine, Tim Luhan Loki, is in the health, beauty, personal care division. Tim does deals from 20 million up to the multi-billions and has actually got a record of doing the largest transact, largest private sort of transaction in that sector. And it's not uncommon. Sometimes phone Tim. I don't hear from him for ages. He's working late at night, negotiating between lawyers, bankers, founders, managed leadership teams, and sometimes quite often sleeping in the office, sleeping under his desk or on the sofa in his office, working through till three, four in the morning, going through all this stuff, trying to get deals over the line. So it's really intensive, really quite complex. The bigger the business gets and you definitely need specialists, brokers to support you in that process. So going back to what I said, developing those relationships, those friendships, super, super important, both at the VC level, but also the business sale broker level as well. So in terms of the exit, begin with the end in mind, whether you're series A, series B, what would you consider? It goes back to your strategic plan that I encourage you to do right in the beginning in the first first mistake, not having the right strategy is a 5x return good for you? Is a 3x return a pretty decent result from your point of view? All right. And if you could get a 3x return in three years, there's not many investments where you can triple your money in, say, a three-year time frame. So you might set, I would encourage you to set a baseline criteria. Remember that some investments are not going to work out. You're protected on the downside from an EIS point of view. And I think that's, you read a lot of, you read a lot of these types of books. And they just talk about making lots of investments and eight out of 10 are going to fail and one will return your money and one will go big. And I just think they're so shallow in many ways, right? Because it's a, it's that 
shotgun strategy, number one. Number two, <clears throat> I appreciate tax laws are different in different countries, and that's in the US. But in the UK, if a business fails, right, then you're in a position where, depending on your tax bracket, you can get up to 70% of your money back. Right. Pretty amazing. Right. So that doesn't mean you make 10 investments and only one needs to give a 10x return and the other nine fail, which is what you commonly hear. And you break even. You don't break even because actually, potentially, you've recovered 70 percent of what you put into those first nine that didn't work. And the one that's gone big makes you a profit. Right. Even if once some of them break even, then you'll get your 30 percent better off from a tax income tax point of view so you made a 30 percent gain if you just get your money back in again all right so that level of kind of sophistication begin with the end in mind think about your upside as well as your downside and i'd encourage you to use internal rate of return as probably the best metric to utilize okay because it factors in as we talked about before the time value of money so begin with the end in mind <coughs> Do online research about exit values, do in-person research, look at the competition all the way through, right from the beginning, as we talked about earlier in that diligence phase, you want to understand how's the competition valued, how much have they raised, what stage are they at, what happened in series A, B, C, D. Now you've got things like you can get a subscription to Crunchbase. All of this information is out there. A lot of it is actually just available just through Google searches. If you just type in the name of a company, a competitor with the word investment and then do a news search, just click the news button on Google. That can be incredibly valuable. We've got AI now with things like ChatGPT. You can type stuff into there. What are the fundamental investments for whatever industry that you're kind of looking at what are the value what are the most common valuations have there been any exit transactions that sort of thing might be a little bit out of date but chat gpt and the other ai platforms are going to start bringing in when google brings their one out it's going to start factoring in search microsoft right a major investor in chat gpt it makes obvious sense for them to have the Bing search engine integrated with ChatGPT. So then you've got the best of AI and ChatGPT coming in with things like search engines as well. Okay, so do your competitor analysis. You can do that online. Brokers we've talked about, make friends with them, meet them. Venture capitalists, smaller stage in your niche. Get to know them, have meetings, take them out for lunch. Find out what do they do with Cedar, sorry, feeder funds. So what specifically are they looking at? Are there certain niches? What revenue? What kind of valuations do they go up to? What support can they offer? So you're building up this kind of network of people that are helping you think about exit. There's a private company, private index by BDO, the accountancy firm, and it jumped to the conclusion. It's free. You register online for it. It's PCPI bdo index if you just type that into google it will come up it's done on a quarterly basis it looks in the uk at all private transactions of sales of businesses that are not listed on any stock market and basically it's about 10 times ebitda is the conclusion right jumping to cutting to the chase between 9 and 11 on average historically it's coming around about 10 times ebitda so 10 times the annual profit so that's fine for certain companies that are maybe not in tech, not sexy, not exciting. 
Some business sale brokers will say that's way too high for a relatively small business. Back in the day, you had the Amazon brands that were valued at a one to three times multiple. Then the Amazon aggregators came in, pushed the multiples up of EBITDA to four, five, six times in some cases, even though they were trapped in the Amazon platform and they didn't have a, what I would call a proper company. They were an FBA Amazon business. The norm is about four to six times for a small business in the UK, four to six times EBITDA. Then you get up to 10 times as per this index you get into tech 15 times 20 times 30 times EBITDA you've obviously we talked about the revenue multiple versus the profit multiple and when you speak to sale brokers it's interesting with the bigger transactions actually there's a real correlation between whether it's revenue and EBITDA you just work it back from a margin level let's say a business a tech platform was selling at a 20 times EBITDA multiple so a business valued at a 20 million EBITDA might be doing 100 million in revenue with a 20% margin for example okay so you can see how they correlate a lot of entrepreneurs will say oh yes but this business it's got AI in it it's going to be valued at 20 times 15 times revenue sorry yes that's possible and it has happened and there's been some you know a very few, very small number, you almost count them on one or two hands, the ones that have succeeded where they make horrific losses for a long period of time. But the revenue growth is significant. I'm thinking like Uber, Twitter, platforms like that, but still high degree of risk. Look at Elon Musk coming in and buying Twitter. No guarantee he's going to work, make it work, probably out of anybody. If anybody can make it work, it will be him. And he's made some really good moves of slashing cost charging for the blue tick, thinking about other ways of getting revenue. So he's done made some pretty smart moves already. But it's not easy, right, to take a big business just based on revenue. Then if market sentiment changes, if investor sentiment changes, it can be a very high risk strategy. So at some point, a business should be aiming for profitability. The best source of funding for any business is revenue and profit. That is absolutely the best way. So we tend to focus quite quickly on how can we get revenue, not at the expense of everything else. It takes time to build brand reach. I totally buy the thesis about the attention economy, the creator economy, having massive reach, massive audience, massive loyalty. But it's a myth, a commonly held myth, actually, that a lot of these tech businesses and platforms lost money for a long period of time before they turned on advertising or they turned on subscription or they turned on some form of generating revenue. Okay, that's not the case. In most cases, I can't remember what it was, but I think Facebook in Meta in the first year did about 380 grand of once the platform was live and people were using it, did advertising revenue of about $384,000 or something of that order. Okay, LinkedIn was making money early. PayPal was making money relatively early. All right, so all of these platforms do start generating revenue. Anybody that says, oh, yeah, revenue doesn't matter. No, it absolutely matters. But so does quality of product, attention, how many people are actually coming to the platform if it's technology. All right, so that's BCMS, brokers, sell side, buy side. Talk about, talk to people about both. Part of a growth strategy, obviously, in any business can be acquisitions as it gets bigger. That can be a great reason for VC money to come in, that you might acquire a competitor or a complementary business that can plug in either horizontal or vertical integration can be super, super useful. We've seen lots of examples of that. Direct to consumer brands buying the manufacturer or doing a, a reverse merger 
or acquisition and integration of the two share swap in the two so they're both incentivized to grow together but separate entities lots of different ways of scaling and growing a business but that tends to come a little bit further down the funding and the growth journey but speak to both buy and sell side specialists and then finally these are your friend okay because they are going to be the people most likely to come in and buy you out or get the next valuation bump and put cash skills capital consultancy connections into the business to take it to that next stage and in 2022 just to give you a size of the vc market according to crunchbase it was 445 billion dollars globally okay just in 2022 alone Okay, four, four, five billion, half a trillion dollars of venture money is looking for the types of businesses that you want to invest into and your founding teams are growing. Yeah, 445 billion. So there's a lot of money, a lot of experience, lots of connections that are going to go way beyond what any individual angel or angel network can do. All right. So it's running that sort of first leg of the relay race and then passing the baton on. You still be cheering from the sidelines, you still might be involved. But one of the most important decisions is who comes in after you to support and grow and help nurture that business. That is so important. All right. And we're going to look at that in the next section. But also, the way I like to say it is, who's your Sean Parker? I say that to the teams that, that we work with and companies we invest into. Who's our Sean Parker? And Sean Parker was the founder of Napster, which was a precursor to Spotify, an online streaming service. It was illegal. It got shut down, basically, but was incredibly well connected in the tech world, the Silicon Valley world, had raised money, was a real disruptor, a real kind of character. And if you've seen the movie, The Social Network, the story of Foot, which according to Zucks is massively glamorized and massively distorted from the reality, but makes for good watching. The truth is Sean Parker did have a significant impact and he acted as like a mentor. And he was the one that said to Zuckerberg, apparently drop the from the Facebook. And he said, you know what's cool? Not a million users, a billion users. And so you want one or more people or a VC fund to come in, take what the team have been able to build, support them, grow them to that next level, all right? Because with the best will in the world, whatever sort of level you're at, the likelihood is you're not a Google, right? You're not going to have the reach of a massive organization that employs thousands of people, that is truly global and international in their reach with offices in different countries that's what a brand that's what an early stage business needs if it's got that phenomenal potential like most of the businesses that bolt angels invest into have mass global appeal we want them to become unicorns right we want them to positively impact millions of people if not billions of people massive big hairy audacious goals with the businesses we invest into as well as making sure that they're going to be sizable in value and sizable in impact make a difference to millions billions of people and be worth be unicorn become unicorns all right to do that we're not going to do that on our own we can help incubate find the ideas do all that sort of thing but we need the bigger companies to take it forward and that will be true for you as well okay just finishing off then three quick <coughs> case studies to highlight the point about different exits, different options, what can actually happen. So the first one is a lesson from failure. I did mention it in one of the previous episodes. 
It was basically a business that failed, paint protection system for cars, boats, and airplanes, launched as a franchise, ran it for, we didn't run it, MD ran it for four years, and ultimately it failed because of a revolution in Thailand, a billionaire in Singapore, and lots of things basically outside of our control. So the reality is some businesses you're going to invest into will fail. Okay, that is just the nature. That's why EIS and having that tax protection is really important. Doing your diligence, all the stuff we're talking about is really important. Being part of a network that know what they're doing, really important. Staying close to that investment and helping them overcome challenges as they grow, also super, super important. Okay. However, there's a letter in a book that I will read to you that people tend to make. I tend to do this more of as a conversation than put it in a letter, but I've seen it seen it in a book with a letter and it's about, it's called How to Fail, right? And we'll put on my glasses. There we go, very official looking. How to Fail. So this is from an angel investor to an entrepreneur. Dear entrepreneur, we have every belief that you will succeed and we hope that will happen. Starting a new business is a Herculean task, and you have our admiration for just trying. Many successful entrepreneurs failed once or many times before they finally hit it. This may be your big win, or it may be one event on a path leading you to that win. In the highly unlikely but possible event that you will fail, should you make sh- that you will fail, you should make sure you fail right. Here is what failing right means. Provide honest and regular updates to your investors. If failure comes, don't let it come unexpectedly. Give your investors every opportunity to help you make it work. Suggestion number one will go a long way towards accomplishing this. Number three, don't leave a mess. Announce failure before you have no cash so you can complete the necessary arrangements, legal and otherwise. Do not, in any case, leave your investors with financial or time obligations to clean up after you. And number four, recognise that failure is part of the game. Be frank, be positive and do your best. It's the only thing any angel investor can expect. Sincerely, David Amos and Howard Stevenson. Okay, so lessons from failure. I've had a couple of failures in business, in angel investing, right? They're painful, especially when other people come on that journey with you. And I wholeheartedly endorse all of those things. And actually, (coughs) it's the failures, as I said before, that teach you more than really than the successes. Successes are great, but failures are incredibly valuable. And the more diversity of experience, the more challenges people have had to overcome, dealing with investors where people have lost money, but doing the right thing in the right way, fundamentally valuable experience, right? So any scars that you've got, any failures that you had, actually are really beneficial as an angel investor because you've been through the School of Hard Knocks, the University of Life, and that can be very valuable, okay? So there's one example, make an investment, it fails. That's, I think, a really good approach and set of values and philosophy to have. Next investment was one you've heard about before. We went from 5 million to 400 million in two years and basically exited in a secondary round of a Series B. 
okay? So deal's not done as of this moment of recording, but it's pretty damn close to it, all right? And that's an example of saying, okay, brilliant, we've got an 80x increase, less the impact of dilution and tax, and now we're going to get off the bus. Thank you very much. That was a pretty cool ride. We can invest, use the profits of that to invest into something else, okay? And that's a great example of bigger firm, and in that one, it was basically a competitor or a co-opetition, so cooperation, competition that came in, bought a big chunk, wanted to buy out some of the secondary as well because they wanted to buy out in the secondary round of original investors that wanted to sell. We weren't forced to sell, but if we wanted to sell, we could so that they would have a bigger shareholding and they had the cash to do that. Okay, so that's another example. And the final example, a brand we worked with, we helped take them from a million pound a month, sorry, a thousand pound a month to a million pound a month. They got acquired by a venture firm and on a valuation of over 40 million. They bought 25% of the business and the founder took a decent, very decent payday from that. So most of the money came off the table as a reward for doing such an amazing job. That business then, they wanted to triple revenue, profitability, enterprise value, which is the, the norm in that world. And couple of things happened. The founder had less motivation because that's a pretty sizable chunk of money. That's the FU money that for most people. And then secondary to that, the VCs came in, do what a lot of VCs do, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater completely, but they bring in a CEO, they bring in people from big companies and big corporates. And I've seen that happen so many times. And I really think it's a mistake. I think there's a real skill to transitioning between those to get the best of both right yes the entrepreneurial team that have taken it to 10 15 20 million in revenue probably not going to be the same team to take it to 100 200 million in revenue in truth right there's some that are able to do that but they tend to be the exceptions more than the rule what you tend to find is actually trying to keep the best of the entrepreneurial spirit and the people that (coughs) brought the business to that point as well as then having people, experienced people that understand system, structure, scale, that can grow the business to thousands of employees or do mergers and acquisitions and partner up with other companies as well. All right, so three different scenarios there to think about from a how or when to exit, some of the pros, some of the cons, reading, there's some great books, reading about that sort of stuff. Where was the one I saw earlier? This is a great book. Founder's Dilemma, if you want another book to read. Okay, anticipating and avoiding the pitfalls that can stink. Sink a startup. There's some stuff, some really good case studies in here as well, as well as some great success stories. Okay, awesome. So we are nearly there in the home straight. So that was not knowing how or when to exit. Mistake number seven coming next. Nothing fails like success. See you soon. So well done for getting to the end of the podcast. I really hope genuinely that you got a load of value from this, some education and some new ideas that you will be able to apply in your own angel investing career. Thanks very much for your investment of time in the Be an Angel podcast. I wish you the very best of success. Until next time, I'm Steve Bolton, over and out.